Girl, there's no Bye Bye Birdie in this one. Do you want to just like get it out of your system? You know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and watch the Mad Men episodes with that arc with Patio. <laughs> Hello, Patio. <laughs> that was a, you have a beautiful singing voice. Thank you. That I, was, I was doing like a little bit of a voice, which I don't like. And that's, that's when Sal's wife realizes he's gay. Oh, because he, what does he do? He gets up out of bed. <laughs> yeah, I remember this. And does the like, you know, Anne Margaret and is like fawning all over Anne Margaret and then does the wave and the little flouncy dress thing. And, and it cuts goes, to the wife sitting on the bed a slow zoom of her being like that's great oh my god he's gay oh my god oh my god he's gay oh julian pensavale patrick heinz girl before we get to the show i'm gonna say it again we announced uh two new live shows a couple weeks ago we sure did so you guys were coming to toronto for the just for last festival we're doing our very first international live show i know in september i know and then in october we're doing our live maura murray episode with the maura murray podcast boys and maggie from the oxygen show we're just gonna like hang out and have a party and everyone's invited we're gonna talk about maura murray and bring your questions bring your questions i've got my questions uh we're gonna do that thing where we play videos and we make fun of them but we also ask like real questions and it's gonna be a really fun funny conversation about Mora. It's going to be like close to Halloween. It's yeah. It's It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Uh, get your tickets at truecrimeobsessed.com slash live. Patreon, girl. What about it? So, you guys, just reminder, we have a new tier, the $7 tier. You get our after party and our ringtones. Ringtones. If you want more of G and me, and we sort of recap our recaps where we talk about what's going on in our lives. My favorite one so far is the after party where we talked about the Pride Show and we used the actual clips from the Pride Show. Right, which you can't hear unless you were there because we're not releasing that. And that's right. So you're going to hear, you'll hear the most you're ever going to hear of it in that episode of The After Party. And if you came to the show, you'll just relive it. Exactly. And at the $5 level, you guys, you get our like 90 episodes where we go episode by episode through Serial, Making a Murderer, The Jinx, Lorena, The Staircase. Mm-hmm. And then like some random things thrown in. Extended outtakes. Yes. It's really the best. It's fun. And then at the $10 level, you get these episodes ad-free. Go to patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed. See all the tiers. Yeah. Mix and, mix and mingle. And the higher you go, everyone with the tiers, you get everything in the tiers below it. Correct. Just so you know. Correct. <laughs> FYI. All right, should we get to the second part of this bonkers story? Yes, I love you now die part two. Oh, God. The defense. Ugh. Let's do it. Okay. I saw him text her all the time, but I didn't think that they had a relationship like that. It's sort of impossible to understand what happened because it's so far from, you know, acceptable human behavior. trial of a Plainville woman accused of encouraging her friend to kill himself through text messages is now underway. We're all left wondering what happened. Now we have this opportunity to see inside their minds. One level of the conversation is a kid that's going to kill himself. And there's another level that's a romantic fantasy. Question is, can you cause someone else to commit suicide? She keeps at him, Your Honor, at him and at him. The defendant's own words. His death was my fault. I told him to get back in. Mr. Roy himself stated, I want to die. She thought she was doing absolutely the right thing. It's a perfect storm of a tragedy.
Okay, this episode opens. It's so bonkers. I don't even know. You have to start. Yeah, it it opened my eyes to a lot of things. Yeah. And we start with these texts from Michelle. So it's February 20th, 2014. Yeah, so Conrad has not killed himself yet. Right. And Michelle is texting him frantically, asking if he's okay. Did you get beat up? Like, she's nervous. And we're seeing pictures of Conrad with cuts on his faces. His face looks super puffy. And he did get beat up. And he did get beat up. But You think he was like, like some bully beat him up at school. Right, but his response to her asking if he's okay, like clearly very worried, is all caps, fuck. Fuck you. So here's the thing. What a way to start an episode. And I, <laughs> what, did I direct this thing? Yeah. My thinking was, all we know about Conrad to this point, like I said in the last episode, is like, he's like the wilted flower. Like, I thought that Michelle must have done something to really hurt his feelings mm-hmm. or to cause him to have been beaten up. No. No. We're going to learn in a second that everything that we knew about Michelle and Conrad in the situation, it, we're going to see it from a whole different angle. It was not what it seemed. It was not what it seemed. And the person who beat the living shit out of Conrad was his own dad. Yeah, you know, you think at first it's kind of embarrassing, but you know what? It doesn't really matter. I know what happened that night with my son, and I know, like, I was being a parent. And I know things got out of control, and we both fought each other. And I'd do it again, just just like that. You see, you know, like my father always said, if you ever take a swing at me, you're going to get it. <laughs> you know, it's like you're going to make sure you don't do that ever again. And I just felt like I had to do the same thing. I told you I didn't like him on sight. Yeah, I, I didn't was, like him on a site. The crocodile tears in the first episode, I didn't like him. It made me so upset. So what he, Conrad's dad is saying is that, you know, Conrad is texting or we see in some, somewhere that he's saying, I told my dad that I'd put the macaroni and cheese away at the commercial break. My dad said, do it now. And then all of a sudden, Conrad is being beaten within an inch of his life. It's the police report. Right, right, yes. It's all over mac and cheese. And his dad is like a puny, like, Massachusetts guy who likes boats. You know what I mean? Right, like, he says, I was just parenting. I don't have to defend myself and he's like maybe it's embarrassing but like I was just being a dad wait a second this is total fucking bullshit this is I mean I don't need to say this is not how you be a goddamn dad no no no, no. and you don't double down you on take it. your kid to see the Lion King for their fifth birthday yes that's how you be a dad and you you maybe encourage them to put the phone down I'm going right. back <laughs> to putting the phone down <laughs> also maybe something other than mac and cheese for dinner if we're really getting into it look <laughs> how dare you I feel seen and not in a good way. Mac and cheese is excellent. It's true. Daisy's probably eating that right now. So now we get this Dr. Peter Bragan. He was he was in the first episode. We kind of skimmed over him. He was he the one go- who was like, it's scientific fact that men are terrified of women. <laughs> exactly. This guy goes back and forth from being awesome to garbage. Yes. Yeah, so Just over and over. It's a roller coaster with her. He's like the expert for the defense, right? Yeah. So he is arguing like, look, both families want the same thing here. Both families right. want to come out of this knowing that like it's not their kid's fault. Yeah. Which I kind of feel like is an oversimplification of what's really going on. Of course. On. Yeah. I think we all wish that we weren't here. The the thing that this doctor tells us, right, because he he's the doctor for the defense. So he's like basically the doctor for Michelle's case. Mm-hmm. He gets all of like the, the, the medical information on both of the kids. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking to us about Conrad's, like the suite of medications that he was taking. Mm-hmm. He was on psychiatric drugs, antidepressants. And if you look at the research on what the psych drugs do, they can cause suicide. I concluded it was a contributing factor, but not an overwhelming factor. The point is, Conrad was suicidal, Mm -hmm. and the drugs that he was on was making it worse, or, or at least could have been making it worse. Right, and Michelle is also on medication. She was put on Prozac when she was 14 years old. Prozac greatly increased the risk of suicide in young people her age. 
and she never should have been given Prozac because she was bulimic, and that would increase the power of Prozac over her. And not long after her first exposure to Prozac, she climbed up on a stool and put a noose around her neck in her closet. It seems to me what we're being told is that neither one of the kids knew this about the other one. Yes. They both knew that they had their own problems, but they had both found a person who didn't have these problems and was maybe looking for this relationship to pull them out of it. Yes. And instead, I mean, by what whatever random fucking twist of I fate, know. they were brought together and they both had like very similar problems. And they fed into it. Self, because if you know? one of them didn't have this problem, if Conrad weren't suicidal, he might have been able to identify that she needed help and he could have gone to a grown up exactly. or vice versa mm-hmm. and instead they just sort of and I don't like to use this word I'm not a medical person so just you guys bear with me right. they, they just sort of made each other sicker mm-hmm. now at the same moment Conrad Roy whom at that point she thought was a sweet boyfriend without any serious problems, was admitted to a psychiatric hospital for a serious suicide attempt. It's, and he is saying, I'm not who you thought I was. This is where a little bit where we get like how toxic and also just like annoyingly immature their relationship was. Yeah, 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 totally. Because, you know, Conrad is telling her these terrifying things. You know, the voices are telling me to kill myself, to drown myself. And I just wanted you to know if you don't hear from me, that's why. And then ghosts her and doesn't respond. Michelle becomes desperate. Conrad won't answer her. And she thinks he's killed himself. And so this is where we're learning that the Conrad picture that was painted in the last episode isn't the whole truth. This guy was, he was really suffering. He Mm -hmm. was really dark and he was, he was kind of tormenting her. He had, and he had tried to kill himself four times. Yeah. Which is now when you look back in that first episode and the mom was like, I didn't know how bad it was. Right. How many times, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not, she's a grieving mother. I know that. Right. But it's kind of like, oh, see, now this is something I wish I would have known. Yeah. And, and we are, we're also seeing that he's also kind of kind of fucking with her. So we're getting that like whoop whoop uh-huh. we're seeing all the text whoop. messages yeah. where he's saying to her like good night I'll see you in the next life and then not answering her text messages. Right. And then like the next morning so she thinks she's freaking out. She thinks he's dead and the next morning he's alive. So like right. all, and this is all in the weeks leading up to his actual suicide. Right. You know saying things like I saw the devil he was in the hospital staring at me and then she like so desperately wants his approval and she's like I actually me too I've been seeing the devil a lot too. But what the doctor tells us is that probably the most common adverse effect of antidepressants is nightmares so this is just spot on the main side effect of the drugs that they're both taking maybe make them actually feel like they actually are seeing the devil yes and he says she's clearly out of her mind and so is he she is clearly out of her mind and so is he She's out of her mind. Yeah. I think something was there. And then the the cocktail of medications they were on really brought it out. And then they fed into each other. And it's almost like, I mean, can you give these kids a fighting chance instead of just like shoving medications down their throat that don't work well together? And what are the odds, too, that, right. that like two quack doctors were giving them medications that don't work well together? Two quack doctors were also giving two really sick kids who had randomly found each other and are now feeding each other's like suicidal tendencies. Right. This- but nobody knows. Right. Because it's all over text 
much. I know. It's, it's insane. Take the phones away from your kids. I, you guys, put your phone down. The other thing, can we just take a quick step back for five seconds? We need to acknowledge that this is a very extreme case. That these two kids would meet because their families vacation mm-hmm. in the same place in Florida and they both have the same problems and they're both being misdiagnosed and right. overprescribed. Right. And they meet each other and they're attracted to each other and they start this relationship together. Uh-huh. This is a very, the reason that we're God, all God, I'm here. exhausted just by you listing all that. I it's, know. It's a lot. This is not normal. This is how I go to sleep at night. This is how I can like, say that this is may- maybe won't happen to my kid. This is a very, very insane amount of circumstances that have led us here. Yes. So two weeks before his death, Conrad says to Michelle, look, there's nothing you can do to make me want to live. Just there's remember, nothing. you guys, in the last episode, it was painted to us that Michelle berated him every day until he killed himself. He didn't want to kill himself. She made him. Right. So now, now these texts that he's that he's sending to her. Right. This exchange is very eye-opening. He suggests they go out like Romeo and Juliet. Michelle goes, oh, I'd love that. Ha ha. We went through this in the first episode. Enough with the ha-has. I know, I know. And Conrad goes, right, but you know how it ends, don't you? She's like, not really, girl. How does it end? She goes in, she says in caps, oh yeah, fuck no, we are not dying. Exactly. And this is where we get some hot smarty who's like, you can't look at one text message. You have to look at the totality of their relationship. You have somebody, Conrad Roy, who has been suicidal for a very long time, really at this point in time intent on killing himself she if you look at it for a year and a half never wanted him to die didn't want him to kill himself what caused her to switch you can't just look at one text message or one text exchange and decide what happened here. And so for we learned that for about a year and a half, she was encouraging him to get help. Right. And the doctor says like... It struck me that she was in an extremely abusive relationship. Michelle got it all as this huge pyramid of his misery and at the bottom of it is sitting Michelle Carter and nobody else. She was in an abusive relationship here because he can tell she's very needy. It's very obvious. Right. Constant reassurance. He is feeding into this. This is constant harassing of her while he's not telling family. And at one point toward the end, Conrad tells her the one thing that will make me hate you is if you tell anyone that I'm suicidal. And she listens. And she says to him in one of the text messages, whoop, part of me wants you to try something and fail just so you can get help. She didn't want him to kill himself. Right, right. And then we get this insane story, which I guess we feel like isn't true, where Conrad is texting with Michelle and his mother, according to Conrad, Mm -hmm. comes into his bedroom and sees that he has this web page up of like the best ways to kill yourself. Right. First of all, can we remove that from the internet? I know. Why is that allowed to be on the fucking internet? Yeah, also like bomb recipes and all this crazy shit. Like, can we just get that? Yeah. Like, not even on the dark web. I want it erased. Get it off there. Bloop. I want it gone. Gone. But Conrad tells Michelle, my mom looked at what I was looking at and is ignoring it. Michelle says, well, didn't she say anything to you? And Conrad responded, no, she just looked at it and walked away. What Conrad is doing is manipulating and lying to Michelle, saying my mom even knows. 
girl, my mom knows I'm going to kill myself. She's fine with She's it. She's accepted that there's no help for me. Exactly. So this is where we get this thing that I find very problematic. Uh, yes. Yeah, so does like most of the psychiatry profession. Yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> May I have the floor? Uh, absolutely. So we, the doctor is on the stand. The doctor that we kind of like, but is also kind of garbage. We go Just, back and forth on him. Yeah. He is saying to us that Michelle was involuntarily intoxicated mm-hmm. when she was, quote, encouraging him to kill himself. What is an involuntary intoxication? Well, by definition, it's an intoxication, which means that the neurochemistry of the brain has been disrupted and that this intoxication is observable through (laughs) thoughts, behaviors, activities. They involve, in general, things like impulsivity, impaired judgment. And he says it all comes to a head on July 2nd. Right. About two weeks before he takes his life. The doctor is saying that based on my review of her medical records, the the medicine that she was taking had this effect where on this date, it made her delusional. Mm-hmm. That, like, as though that's a side effect. At this point, she has an involuntary intoxication where she is not forming a criminal intent. I'm going to harm him. She's not doing something she, she thinks is criminal. This is bad. She's thinking that it's a good thing to help him die, that she can mitigate the circumstances, that she can then go and help his family. This is now the way. She's found a way to finally help. I agree that this is where she maybe crossed over to full-on delusion, but I don't believe it involuntarily intoxicated. Because we meet this other woman who's like a doctor in the field who says to us, like, that's that's not really a thing. She's like, not a single one of us believe it. Involuntary intoxication is a diagnosis that I never use and that most of the colleagues that I know don't use, but that is used in forensic psychiatry. So without you know, without uh, any consensus by our profession that it's even real. So now prosecutor Katie Rayburn starts cross on Dr. Bregan. She (laughs) is not letting anything. It is rapid fire. The thing about this, he's just gotten done saying that like, she's psychotic. He's psychotic. They were seeing things like whatever. Delusional. Delusional. That whole bit. She was over medicated or she was like accidentally drunk. Like whatever she, whatever he was Mm -hmm. saying about her like being mismedicated. Right. Because now Katie Rayburn is like, okay, hold on a second. (laughs) Mr. Magoo, I'm going to, I've got some questions for you. Yeah. Pause. Yeah. We learned that Michelle was going to camp. She was interacting with kids. She was going to therapy. Her therapist testified and said, you know, she's in good shape. And you would agree with me that the therapist describes her appearance as good eye contact, well-groomed, correct? Okay. Yeah. All right. Short-term memory intact, judgment good, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Behavior, no abnormalities, correct? Yeah. Her affect is appropriate. Her long-term memory is intact, correct? Yeah. Her insight is good, correct? Yeah. And you're now telling us that she didn't know right from wrong at that same time. And as she's asking these one by one, he's like, yep. yep, Yeah. Yep. This is at the same time he's saying that she was so crazy. Right. She didn't know what she was doing when she was telling Conrad to kill himself. Right. So the prosecutor's like, how could she not know right from wrong? The doctor said, you know, like, what are you talking about? So the prosecutor's not letting a goddamn thing go. And eventually the doctor's like, I know, right? (laughs) 
It's so weird. I don't get it either. Yeah, I think it's really crazy. He's like, this is really crazy, isn't it? And she's like, no, that's not, no. Don't try to take my side on this. Yeah. And then it's cutting to the defense attorney whose face is just completely like, what is happening? Right. Because he's agreeing with with the lawyer. Right. While also maintaining what he said is absolutely right. right. And she's like, you see how this doesn't make any sense, right? And he's like, I know. Right. Isn't it bananas? <laughs> Isn't this so bonkers, right? Like, and she's, it's so frustrating because it's like, wait, what? Right, because they're talking about the dry run where she like pretended that he was dead to all of her friends. She's telling people he's missing. She doesn't know where he is. She's getting updates from the family, all while speaking to him, correct? Yes, it's very strange. I can't find a rational reason why she would ever have been doing this. I think it's part of a very confused, delusional state that, where she's coming in and out of uh, what's happening. What am I doing? How about the rational reason that she wanted to know how her friends would react when he killed himself? And her whole point is like, look, she's playing both sides against the middle. Right. She's lying to everybody. She's inconsistent to everybody. She knows he's dead and acting like she doesn't with the sister. Like, have you heard from him? Right. Like, she's playing all sides here for attention. Right. Delusional or not. That's a fact. Exactly. And then it basically just ends with the doctor saying, yeah, she's psychotic. Didn't I just say that? Yeah, so weird. She's psychotic, deluded. She's disturbed. Everything you're describing is why I concluded she's got an involuntary intoxication. I had to watch it twice. I was trying to follow like, wait, are they agreeing and making the same point? Are they disagreeing and making that? I could not follow this. Right. I don't think anybody could. I think even the judge was like, girls, what's happening? Right. And this is where your boyfriend from Esquire. Yeah. He leads us through like the next big chunk of this episode. Yes. Because what's amazing is that we have this very extensive record of their relationship. It's all in text. And somebody says, What's really interesting about this case is that we have this very detailed record of what was said between them. This detailed record of their minds coming together and interacting with each other. In the past, we wouldn't have had that record. All we would have had was a person commits suicide and we're all left wondering what happened. That only exists because they never saw each other in person. All of their communication was via text message. Right. And if you thought Michelle was needy with the girls... Buckle up. <laughs> oh, God. We get, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. We get texts from Michelle asking if they'll get married. It's like they kept feeding each other. It was like, you know, somebody says they had this sort of like competitive, do you love me? Do you like me? Do you hate me? Vibe. And we see it play out in the text messages. Right. So his response is, are you okay? Right. Like, <laughs> I love your furrowed brow on that like, response. What? <laughs> and like, we learn, of course, obviously the relationship meant more to Michelle yeah. than it did to him. But he was kind of mean to her. Like all these texts, like, fuck you, bitch. He'd neg her, which is like the most obnoxious thing in the what world. What does that mean? It means when you like put somebody down and like critique them. It's like a dating technique where some some matchmaker was just like, here's how you get women. You just put them down and break their confidence. Oh, and yeah. then you want, And then you build them up and they're like, oh my God, like yep. I really am worth it. So he would just be horrible to her. And because we, we, this is the section where you got Guys, as a family, we need to come to terms with the fact that Conrad was kind of garbagey. He yeah. wasn't this like shrinking violet. Like we learned, in, like he wasn't this like sensitive, quiet kid. He was kind of an asshole. Right. Absolutely. And we learned too that like the reason they got so close and were kind of like spilling their their worlds to each other was that like they have this intimacy of the barrier of the phone. But the right. thing is, you don't 
you can learn facts about someone, but you can't learn like someone's mannerisms or their voices. And more than that, they don't say this, but you make it up. Yes, you it's invent the person on the other end. 100%. It's not just that you don't actually know who you're talking to. It's that you're talking to the ideal of who you want to be talking to. So someone with a very... Catfish, you guys. Episode two. Yes. We re- do we have to go over this again? Right. And that's very dangerous for a person who's very prone to delusion like Michelle yeah. is. Yeah. Because now she's made up this whole thing. And like she asks like, oh, are we dating? And he's like, how would that make sense? But then there are texts of him saying, I love you. You're the best girlfriend he in the world. just manipulating her. Yeah. Of course he thinks they're dating. Right. All right, you guys. Here's another thing we got to start dealing with. <laughs> we have to deal with the fact. I don't want to. I, I don't Look, want to. I mean, we have to. We talk about the documentaries. We have to deal with the fact that Michelle was obsessed with the TV show Glee. Dot, dot, dot. What? <laughs> And moreover, Mm -hmm. Leah Michelle. Again, dot, 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 what? Right. In some ways, the big moral failing from Michelle has to do with an eerie inability to fully apprehend reality. Glee is a TV show that is set in an American high school, and the stars are Leah Michelle and Corey Monteith, who are not only the stars of the show, but were a couple in real life. And Michelle was obsessed with Leah Michelle on a kind of profound level that went beyond what a normal teen identifying with a star, you know, might feel like. Can I say, can I break in here? Uh Leah Michelle is a Broadway kid. She made her Broadway debut when she was like a real little kid. She grew up in the Broadway world. I've seen her in eight Broadway shows. Yeah, yeah. She went into Glee and she became super famous. That's all. That's all. Okay, she's a theater kid. Yeah. You're on the record. You got it. So we learn that when she was writing either to or about Conrad, yeah. she was quoting lines from Glee, but not saying she was quoting lines. She was passing off dialogue from the show Glee. <laughs> but here's here's the thing. So in 2013, Corey Monteith, who was the star, the co-star of Glee. This is so sad. He ODs. Now, Leah Michelle and Corey Monteith were actually dating in real life, and their characters were dating on the show. Right. Which was a very tragic moment. Mind F for everyone involved uh-huh. and fans of Glee because they had it so that his character died tragically. This was really, you guys, I didn't know anything about this. And I was watching, this is all in the documentary. Right. They have like a big memorial episode for the character, but all the actors are really crying because it's their friend and Leah Michelle's actual boyfriend and her boyfriend in the show. And, and then like, you see like there's a scene of Leah Michelle, like they're not playing the music, but she's like alone on a bare stage singing her heart out and sobbing. Right. And I was like, Ryan Murphy, can you take it down a I know. goddamn notch? I know. He's, like, he's like, no, bitch. Right. No, bitch. Exactly. I'm yeah. Ryan Murphy. I right. only make things worse. Right. And what's really extra creepy is that almost a year to the day after I know Corey Monteith ODs Conrad dies so the, the point is Michelle is like super identifying with Leah Michelle as a person as a character and I was like oh my god did she like engineer the suicide so it would be like to the day that the Corey Monteith died well in October of 2013, Michelle introduces the idea of... No, you guys, we're talking about... This is a little confusing because we're talking about Leah, Michelle, and Michelle. So, Michelle Carter. If we're talking about Leah, Michelle, we're going to use her full name. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, who calls Leah, Michelle, Michelle? Right. Not on her watch. <laughs> So in October 2013, Michelle Carter introduces the idea of, you know, it would be really cool if her boyfriend died tragically and she was the star of the show that is her life. So she's saying this to her friend, the girls that she wants to be her friends. While quoting Glee. Yeah. It's sort of the first moment where you realize that Michelle has like a completely other story that's going on that has nothing to do with Conrad specifically. 
But the idea that she would be the person in Glee who had a boyfriend who was the quarterback who had sort of tragically died, I think was kind of more real to her than it probably is to most people. Let's just break this down. Yeah. She's now quoting the character from Glee, talking about another dead character from Glee, but these are real people in a real relationship also. Right. I mean, you lost me, but I, it doesn't matter. It's all insane. If right. you guys aren't following, it's all insane. And now we learn about Alice. Um, God, you guys, it takes a turn. A turn I did not see coming. No. So we learn that Michelle Carter was obsessed slash in love with this girl, Alice. They played softball together. There were a lot of sleepovers. They instantly became incredibly close. They went to uh, each other's houses. They slept over. They took a team trip to Montreal. And when other uh, kids on the team were going out to eat as a group, they would kind of sneak off and eat together, just the two of them. It was an intense teen friendship that was almost like a love affair for Michelle. We learned through this journalist that it started to evolve. Like, we see text messages from Michelle to her other friends talking about she started to develop, like, real emotional and sexual feelings for Alice that she thought were reciprocated. They're Mm -hmm. flirting with each other. It's definitely more than friends. And listen, the whole idea of, like, just wanting to have a best friend or wanting to have a person, like, that is very real. I I think a lot of queer kids really do feel that. I I remember feeling that. You know, in life, if this Michelle person comes out as, like, bisexual or gay, I'm not going to be surprised. No. Because... Because what she's describing here is what I, I mean I think a lot of kids gay straight queer whatever feel this but I just can say as a gay person I remember having this same identity crisis at around the same age right like, I have this real these really strong feelings for this person who is a boy I knew that I was gay mm-hmm. this hit very close to home for me again being a teenager is a nightmare yeah and it's we we're getting the story that it's reciprocated by Alice that like it's this really wonderful meaningful thing for Michelle and then it's like Right. There are some there are two parallels here. Yeah. We learn that right around the time Michelle met Conrad, Alice cut all contact with Michelle. Right. And right around the time Conrad is like especially suicidal, Michelle really starts missing Alice. Yeah. Then the Esquire reporter tells us that he tracked down Alice and she agreed to do an interview and with her like, mom. With her mom. And it's like, oh my God, great, we're gonna hear about this. The reason they were meeting me was to refute exactly that story. So they were meeting to say Michelle is a sociopath and she made this all up. There was never anything physical about the relationship. And if I didn't feel for Michelle in any moment before that, in that moment, I felt a sympathy for how alone she was. I don't know how much of that I believe, if I'm being honest. Right. I, Michelle is is notoriously an unreliable narrator. Yes. She does make things up. Things do mean more to her than other people. Sad, but true. Yeah. However, this immediate cutting off of a friendship yep. kind sounds kind of like the mom walked in on them in, uh-huh. a, in a weird situation. That, so there's that too. I think maybe it, it's a little both. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Maybe it did mean more to Michelle and this girl was just sort of experiment. I don't know. I think for like queer people who hear this part of this story, we identify with it because it's it's very much a thing of like questioning and wanting and not sure if you can have and you know, it's very the one thing that I loved was that Michelle's friends were like, yeah girl, get it. Like of course you can like this girl. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Can you stop texting me? Right. Go be gay but right. like you have, I have to. have people over and you're not here and I have to go be with my real I friends. I need a minute. Yeah, totally. To, to frantically text everybody else. Right. <laughs> put your phone down. <laughs> to screenshot put... this and text it to everybody. Right. And the group text that we have about you. Right. Oh, God. That's so horrible. I know. It's horrible. I want to say one thing about Conrad's mom. Uh-huh. Because 
I really loved and respected her in this moment because right. when we find out all of this stuff about Alice and all of the stuff about how Michelle just didn't feel loved, she didn't feel like she had any friends, yeah. she's clearly not in her right mind. The Conrad's mother, whose son died, mm-hmm. and I think she believes that this girl is partially, at least partially responsible for it. Right. She says of Michelle, She didn't live in reality. Like, she lived in some kind of fantasy, I think. But she's just not a well person, so how can you be that angry or how can you be that when someone is not, she's not well? That's all I say. She's not well. I mean, that takes a lot of strength. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of, like, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of, like resolve to not spend the rest of your life being just so fucking furious. So basically things you would never do. Is no, what you're yeah, saying. yeah, none of the, the, the I, me and Conrad's mother have nothing in common. Right. <laughs> yeah, I just felt very proud of her. I was like hero bells for Conrad's mom in that Yeah, cuz it must be so hard to when you see those last two weeks of yeah. are you going to do it now? Are you going to do it now? Yeah. I totally support this and like giving him tips and pointers and Googling things for him. Yeah. The point is, and I don't know how great of a job we've done of driving this home. What we're being told is that Michelle thought she was helping him. Right. You know, in this episode, we're we're seeing it from the perspective that Michelle loved him, mm-hmm. knew that he was in pain, knew that he had tried to kill himself over and over and over again. In the telling of this version, the switch flipped in her brain that was like, I got to get him to just kill himself because then he'll be out of this pain. Because uh-huh. she says at one point, I knew I had to tell him to get back in the truck because if I didn't, he was just going to go through this all over again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He was going to be sad and scared and angry and he was going to try it and not make it all the way through. I needed to get him back in that truck because I knew that if he got in that truck he would die and that Mm -hmm. would be better for him. Right. And also like this might sound really callous but I'm really just asking a question. Conrad... Did he try to kill himself four times? Is that from him or is that... So it, I'm glad that you asked this question because I don't know the answer to that question. And we are at the point in this movie where we hear somebody say the word reality flicker. Uh-huh. And it gets a little bit hazy as to what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Because now it's the day after. It's the day after Conrad killed himself. Mm-hmm. And we start seeing text messages from Michelle where it's clear that she doesn't actually know if he died or not. And that's because... She's mentally not well. Right. But also, we learned that... The pattern that would happen in the last few weeks of Conrad's life is Conrad would say, I'm going to do it tonight. Then the next morning, he would be alive. Then a few days later, he would say, okay, I'm ready to do it tonight. I'm going to do it. And then the next morning, he would be alive. And he did that to her over and over right. and over again. Which is horrible. Remember, when he actually gets back in the truck and dies, she doesn't know. Or stays she, in the truck and dies. Right. Like, exactly. You exactly. know? She's not there. And, you know, I decided to go with it at this point in the movie, but it is a little bit unclear of like, wait, what did she know? Did she really yes. not know? Are we assuming? So at this point, it's a little bit weird to say exactly what happened. Yeah. What is obvious to me is that when he really needed someone to understand how serious it was and to go over his head to the cops, to his mother. She wasn't that person. And that's her kind of tragic failing. And another thing that we really have to drive home here is that he told her repeatedly, there is nothing you can do for me. Right. What you're doing, telling me to get help is not helpful, Michelle, right. yeah. and yelled at her about it. And we learned, you know, like most likely to bring a smile to your face or whatever. Uh-huh. In that time when we were learning about what she was like growing up, 
All she wanted to do was help. And she found a way in her delusional mind to help. Right. It's it's very confusing because there's part of me that wants to say, like, she's a good person and she loved him and she wanted to be there for him. And she really thought that she was helping and she in no way actually wanted him to die. But then it's like, oh, wait, but she really did want her friends to like her. The dry run is a real thing. I believe that. It's real. And it's she, real. And she would manipulate the girls, not just with Conrad. Right. If they didn't answer her fast enough, she would say, I'm cutting myself again. Right. If she was cutting herself again because she wanted them to pay attention, whether she was lying or if it happened or whatever, there's mental health issues there, but it is still also manipulative. Right. You can have mental health issues that need to be taken care of, and also they can manifest themselves in you being a manipulative person. It's also if just any one of these kids had gone to their goddamn parents. There's so many of them. I know. And now, you know, the truth of the matter is we don't know that the, we now know that Conrad's dad is garbage. We don't know what would have happened. Maybe the parents would have been like you're overreacting, you're paranoid, whatever. Right. But like if anybody had gone to a responsible adult, this could have just been a crazy story that they tell at the reu- at the uh-huh. high school reunion. And I don't think that if he really tried to kill himself four times, I just can't believe that Lynn the mom would have ignored that. So, okay, we are told that like at least the dad tells us they took him to every psychiatrist, they took him to every doctor. They t- they did all the things that I would do. Right. You know, yeah, I, he's in pain. He's crying out. Take him to the doctor. Get him on meds. Take him to the psychiatrist. Get him to talk. They did all of that. Yeah. And he's also like, I think that he is presenting as though that stuff is working. He seemed like he was just on the right track. It seemed like everything was like getting better. Um, and he was um, you know, able to get his captain's license. And he was like, seemed to be like really wanting to, uh, you know, learn like the business. But then, okay, let me say this then. Yeah. Then there is an argument for, I don't know how much I believe it. I'm just saying, you. it could be argued, okay, but doesn't that really say what a hold this relationship had on him? Uh-huh. If the secret relationship that was feeding into the demons that can undo all of that hard work, doesn't that make her culpable in some way? Well, I'm definitely not on the side that she's blameless. Not at all. Right, right. Because I also think that you can have a good intention in your brain. You can 100%. have the good intention of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage him to do this so he he'll be out of pain, Mm -hmm. that can still be wrong. And in her mind, she's thinking, and then he'll still like me. Right. Because he said, the only way I could hate you is if you tell anybody about this. He told her over and over, there's nothing else you can do, Michelle. I'm going to stop loving you if you keep annoying me with like all this help business. And I'm also the only person in your life that likes you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's the other part And he used that to get everything he wanted out of her, which was what? Someone to abuse, someone to talk to, someone to make him feel better about himself? I don't know, but he was mean to her and there's no getting around that 100% so we're at day six of the trial it's closing arguments and we it's basically a rehash of everything that we've talked about in the last episode and a half right like they're both reading the text that benefit their side of the case right and it's it's either like was she this cold-blooded person who just wanted to be popular so she had to convince this kid to kill himself during the days leading up to this your honor he told her I'm scared I don't have it in me another day wouldn't hurt Every time he came up with an excuse not to do it, she kicked his feet out right from under him and told him why it didn't matter, why he still needed to die. Or was she this kid that was delusional and on the wrong medication and involuntarily intoxicated and she didn't know what she was doing and she thought she was doing good and she thought she was helping him get out of pain? And also he was going to do it anyway. Right. That it didn't matter what she said. Mr. Roy himself stated to Michelle Cotta, I want to die. Straight up, those words, I want to die. 
to turn around and say she's bullying him or she got him to do something he didn't want to do. He's asking her, you want to help? His words, you want to help? He doesn't tell her, stop this, don't call me, lose my number, stop texting me, block call, nothing of the like. He continues to use her for his support to carry out his plan. He had to buy all the stuff to rig his car up, and right. he did that. And he did that. And so this is the most important point. This is where we learn, not only did he do that, did mm-hmm. he go to the parking lot, did he buy the generator, and he bought the water pump, and all that stuff. This is where we learned that we don't know for sure that he got out of the car. Because that is what the prosecution is hinging on. Right. The prosecution is hinging on, fine, he did all of that actions, he wanted to kill himself, mm-hmm. but when he got out of the car, she convinced him to get back in. And this This is where we find out that the only evidence that she actually did convince him to get back in is a text message that she sent to her friend Sam a month after he died. It's a big question because there's there's metadata for the phone calls, but there's no recordings. So there's absolutely no way to know whether Michelle telling him to get back in the truck was an event that took place, whether it was something that she wanted people to think had happened, whether it was like a manifestation of her guilt. Why did Michelle wait two months to tell Samantha Boardman I told him to get back in the truck? So just to break that down even farther, there are phone calls that happened while he was in the truck or while he was thinking about Mm -hmm. killing himself or while two almost 50 minute phone calls. Mm -hmm. They're not recorded. We don't know what was said. A month later, Michelle sends a text to her friend Sam. Sam. His death is my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him and he got out of the car because it was working. And he got scared, and I fucking told him to get back in, Sam, because I knew he would do it all over again the next day. And I couldn't have him live that way, the way he was living anymore. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't let him. We know that she sent that text to Sam. We don't know that she actually said that to Conrad. There's no evidence proving it other than that she said a month later that she did. And we learn even more now about the lying and the contradicting herself that she was doing in these texts. Right. I don't think we can know that Michelle's story is at all true. It's not, I don't think it's a true story. Michelle frequently made contradictory statements. One of the most striking was that she told her friends that she had never had sex. She was lying a lot about sex. And at one point, Michelle says to one of the girls she wants to be friends with that Conrad raped her. Right. What's scary about Michelle's description of of being assaulted is uh, that her friends don't believe her. That there's a sense that, like, Michelle says some stuff that's true and some stuff that's not true, and everyone kind of knows it. At this point, she's lied about everything, and they're catching her in lies. Right. She's talking about how sexually experienced she is, and then they're tripping her up in lies, and they're like, wait, I thought you this. And at one point, she's like, oh, did I say that? Ha ha. Because the point is, a month after the suicide, was she just saying this to this girl, Sam, to get her sympathy, Mm -hmm. to restoke the flames, to make Sam feel like Michelle really feels guilty, and now they need to be there for her even more. Right. This is what the prosecution is hinging on. Without this, Michelle is innocent, Mm -hmm. and we it could just have been a 
thing that Michelle said to make the friends feel sorry for her. And Michelle never takes the stand, so we don't hear from her. We, we don't, don't know. know. But like the press is quoting her saying, quote, get back in as if it's fact. So we hear from the doctor, the doctor who was on Michelle's legal team, mm-hmm. that he sees people in airports. <laughs> this is so weird. I know. Most of America believes that she texted him this in writing. According to prosecutors, Carter even texting him to get back in the truck when he has second thoughts. And when I meet people in airports and I'd say to them, uh, hey folks, do you know about this this, uh, lady uh, who supposedly told her boyfriend to come say, oh yeah, 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 she, she texted her to death. I said, would you believe that there was never anything written down? We have no written record. No, Doc. And people would get mad. They'd say things like, fake news again. But also, on the other hand, it's like, okay, get back in is one phrase. Right. In hundreds of texts of her saying, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? This is how you should do it. You should totally do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Did you do it yet? So it's kind of like, okay, whatever. Get back in isn't a thing. Yes, I know that if that was true, if he really got out and was scared and she somehow, an hour away, forced him in. Over the phone. With three words. Right. She also said a lot of other things that that are actually, if you really look at the words, meaner and more encouraging than get back in. Exactly. So here we are. So the judge takes two days to deliberate and he comes back and he's he's reached a verdict. Good afternoon, everyone. The law does not require that any explanation as to a verdict be given. Nonetheless, I am of the opinion that some explanation of my verdicts is warranted. Basically, the judge talks for 15 minutes and like the lawyers are confused and she looks confused and nobody really knows what's happening. And then... Scotta, please stand. This court, having reviewed the evidence and applied the law thereto, now finds you guilty on the indictment charging you with the involuntary manslaughter of the person Conrad Roy III. You may be seated. That verdict is now recorded and it is in writing as well. Remember, this is precedent setting. This is like right. going forward, anybody who texts anything to anybody saying you should kill yourself, if they go and do it, you're liable. Yeah, a thousand times. If you yeah. text them a thousand times, did you do it yet? Yeah, you should be. We yeah. should ask you a couple questions and maybe you should get the help you very desperately need. Yes. I agree with that, but I also don't necessarily agree that like if you're 40 miles away, you cannot force somebody to take their own life. No, I agree. She wasn't. She didn't have a gun to his head. She didn't say or else. I, I, I do understand that. Yeah. But she also really needs help too. Like. One One million percent. Like, whatever. Right. She needs, not whatever. This is very important, actually. (laughs) She needs help. She needs help. Right. And so then, you know, three months go by, and then it's it's time for the sentencing. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts is saying, like, seven to 12 years. And actually, she rolls her eyes. I don't know if you saw that, but she totally rolled her eyes. I totally missed that. Michelle. I know. Girl, the cameras are on you. And I I thought you knew that. Remember, first episode? You you went to the tanning booth to prepare. Exactly. Don't roll your eyes. So then the defense is given their opportunity to say, like, what do you think should happen? And they're like, uh, uh, probation and she should go to a hospital because she needs help. Treatment, yeah. Yeah. And the judge sentences her. By the end of today, people will wonder why what has happened has happened. People may wonder why all of this has happened. I have not found that Miss Carter's age or level of maturity or even her mental illness have any significant impact on her actions. 
On the other hand, even if the age and maturity level of the person at the time that they have committed the crime doesn't, great, doesn't garner a great deal of significance, the fact that they are still of that young age offers a greater promise of rehabilitation. Ms. Carter, please stand. It's kind of a light sentence. It's two and a half years. She's only has to spend 15 months in jail. The rest is going to be suspended. And then, hubbub, 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 mm-hmm. on the spot, her defense lawyer files a motion to suspend the sentence until all the appeals are exhausted. Right. And it's granted. It's granted. She goes home that day. Yeah. Also, just in the sentencing, like, in, you know, these 15 months and all that, is there anything really explicit about treatment or is she just going to juvie? Well, it's crazy because now she's, like, in her 20s. And she's being, right. she's being tried and sentenced as a juvenile because it happened when she was 17. Uh I mean, at this point, it doesn't matter because she's going home. And we hear the journalist saying, like, I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't spend a day in jail. But she does. She does. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler, she does. 19 months later, the appeals are exhausted. They're denied. And she goes to jail. She Right now, she's currently serving 15 months in jail. Right. And her her sentence started February 6, 2019. Not that long ago, you guys. Yeah, I remember. I remember when it happened. Yeah. And she's going to serve 15 months and then she'll be out. I mean, she's young. She's got her whole life ahead of her. Like, if they can get her meds right maybe she'll be okay yeah I hope I mean it says that she's serving 15 months in prison but I hope part of that is intense therapy like I didn't hear enough about the help that she needs and will she get the help and what her treatment's gonna be and because this is like uh, will she do it again will she do something again like will she always be that needy and sad and alone like she needs help she is gonna be a danger to society if they don't if she's not quote rehabilitated a hundred percent she's gonna come out of jail famous like when she comes out of jail she is will be famous she'll do the circuit she'll do the press tour if she's in the spotlight hopefully that will require her to get the help and care that she needs and you know we don't know anything about her family or her parents right we have that on screen text that Michelle and her family has they declined to participate in the documentary yeah and I I don't know I I hope that her parents are the if you're ever in trouble call us no questions asked right like I I, I don't know how they're feeling about it it makes 100% sense that they would not want to be involved in this I get that yeah but I just wonder if they're thinking like okay well she didn't really do it she wasn't there she didn't have a gun to his head she didn't do this and now after the 15 months like this nightmare is over right I hope they play the long game here and they think why did she do this in the first place what can we do to help I her? mean it, it, again I say Michelle when she gets out of jail she's got her whole life ahead of her hopefully she's gonna like turn her life around and be, be able to have some sort of happiness yeah That was hard. You know, thanks to HBO for getting us these screeners. Thank you. I'm so glad to have been able to watch this ahead of time and like really process it before we did it and like really, you know, do it justice. I know. This is, I think, the only documentary, maybe not, but that I really went in thinking one thing and left really feeling a lot more things. 100%. And I'm not, like, I don't know what I think. It's very complicated and I feel like it's very complicated. Yeah. You guys, don't forget, we have, we just announced two new live shows, the one in Toronto for Just for Last Festival in September, our Maura Murray live show with the Maura Murray boys and Maggie from the Oxygen show Mm -hmm. in October. Get your tickets to those. They're smaller venues. They're going to go pretty fast. Um, And the Patreon, girl. Patreon. You guys, the after party is where it's at, at Mm -hmm. the $7 level. Mm -hmm. At the $5 level, you get all of our bonus episodes covering, you know, episode by episode serial. Yes. The staircase, making a murderer, the Lorena. James, Lorena, all of it. I always mention Lorena. Lorena's the one where I'm like, make sure you say that one. I know. <laughs> I always say it. Oh, and the disappearance of Madeline McCann. We're like five episodes in right now. I know. It's good. Speaking of a lot of feelings. Oh my God. Girl, what are we doing next? 
We are doing Client 9. The the Elliot Spitzer documentary. Yes. You guys, if you love the Wiener documentary, the one about Anthony Wiener, if you haven't listened to it, go listen. It's such a good episode. Yeah, this is another uh, political sex scandal. Totally. Another Democrat, too, by yeah. the way. Girl, where can they find us? Well, truecrimeobsessed.com is our gorge, gorge website for all of so your TCO beautiful. needs, like episodes and our calendar and merch and the live shows and all the good the stuff. Promo codes. If you guys are looking for the promo codes from the ads, just go to the website. They're yes, all there. They're all there. And we're at True Crime Obsessed on the Twitter and True Crime Obsessed Podcast on the Insta. Follow us on the Insta, you guys. I'm obsessed with you finding us on the Insta. Yes. I do stories constantly. constantly. It's my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Where can they find you, girl? At Jillian with a G on all the things. I'm at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram, at Patrick Hines on the Twitter. You guys stay tuned for the trailer for Client Number Nine or Client Nine or client whatever nine, it is. Yeah. Whatever. Our hilarious outtakes, TM, TM, TM. And then our palate cleanser, who knows what it's going to be. I will try to remember to put it in the show notes. Yes, please do. I will do my very best. Please do. We love you guys. We love you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. We knew that folks would come down hard on us if we ever stumbled, which is why the downfall was so shocking. When I assumed office, which was January of 1999, investment bankers were, to use Tom Wolfe's great phrase, masters of the universe. CEOs began to take everything they could, and ultimately that was going to destroy our economy. They literally were terrified at this guy coming after them. The New York Times identifies Governor Spitzer's mystery call girl as Ashley Dupree. I have acted in a way that violates my or any sense of right and wrong. Cheers erupted on trading floors as word spread of Governor Spitzer's stunning downfall. Now it's publicly going to take me out as leader. This man really intended to destroy me. New York Confidential, rocket fuel for winners. That's all it says. When you're sending a girl for $30,000 overnight, it doesn't feel like prostitution. <laughs> he showed up clearly trying not to be recognized. I'm like, don't tell me it's that guy again. Joe Bruno hired the country's most notorious dirty trickster, Roger Stone. Sure, I believe in the gonzo brand of uh, politics. Porter was told to look at Client 9. He was enemy number one. The governor felt like he was under surveillance. Both Greenberg and Langone hired PR firms to go after Spitzer. You tell your buddy, I'm going to put a spike through his heart. This is a tyrant. The man's entire life is a lie. These are the guys that got us to the brink of disaster. And Elliot Spitzer was after them years before the collapse occurred. There are all sorts of rumors about bringing me down. I brought myself there. We're at war. This is a war. I feel like it sounds really good in our new studio. I think it does. That's, think... That must be what it yeah. is. That's why I feel so great about it. We should it. really cut that album. Okay. I think we should really cut that Indigo Girls cover album. Sure. <laughs> Up on an airplane. <laughs> I thought you were going to give us a little zooby zooby zoo. Oh, no. No. <laughs> remember, th- remember the zooby zooby zoo moment? I do. I still feel like hot in my face out of <laughs> mortification. <laughs> for Megan? And for, for the whole thing. It's all very, it was all very embarrassing. <laughs> This is a very, very insane amount of circumstances that have led us here. Yes. To this really, really hot recording studio. Right. It's and, very hot in here. And this very, very tragic case. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's also very hot in here. It is. It's as hot as it is tragic. <laughs> Listen, I'm looking at you like that because I just had a memory of the time when I was in AP English in high school. Uh-huh. What'd, you, what'd you do? I, 
Oh, what'd you do? I actually wrote out the lyrics to my very favorite song by the Indigo Girls called The Wood Song and turned it in as poetry. Guess who got an A on that assignment? You did? I, did. I totally did. That's amazing. I know. So you found a place where the grass is greener. And you jump the fence to the other side. Is it good? Are they giving you a world I could never provide? Well, I hope you're proud of your big decision. Yeah, I hope it's all that you want and more. Now you're free from the agonizing life you were living before. And you say what you need to say so that you get to walk away. It would kill you to have to stay trapped when you've got something new. Well, I'm sorry I had it rough, and I'm sorry I'm not enough. Thank God they rescued you. So you got what you always wanted. So you got your dream come true. Well, good for you. Good for you, you, you. Got a taste of a life so perfect. So you did what you 